message is entitled, For the Good of the Planet. So we continue with our series, For the Good of the World, where so far we've talked about uh, the good of our hearts, for the good of my home, for the good of my neighborhood. Uh, we took a break last week where Pastor Brian shared about the power of the Holy Spirit. And this evening we return with a message on for the good of the planet. Now I want you to know something. We had scheduled this sermon on this date back in March. Uh, and this is not in response to the Paris uh, Climate Agreements, okay? Uh, which the way that we kind of look at it now, it feels a bit providential that, that this kind of comes uh, right here, right now, and we hope you see that too. But many of us are concerned, regardless of what is going on in the news cycle, many of us are concerned of what is happening to our planet. This does not necessarily mean that we understand exactly the ramifications that are happening, but we do have reason to be concerned. Our planet's temperatures are rising, our planet's temperature, excuse me, is rising. Our scientists are telling us that weather patterns are becoming more and more erratic. The polar ice caps are melting. Certain species of animals are being threatened with extinction. We have a water crisis that especially affects those billion people who are on, on the margins and living on less than $1 a day. They are the most vulnerable. And our water, air, soils are becoming increasingly more polluted for, for everyone. Many of us here, uh, are, are living off of our privileged suburban infrastructures and also our moment in time right now. And so we are not experiencing the dramatic effects that other people are and that other people will, and perhaps eventually us ourselves. We would be unwise to not recognize the looming problems that our planet faces. And really, friends, we cannot pretend that everything is fine. We can't choose ignorance and just hope that climate change solves itself, and we can't just continue using fossil fuels at this rate, hoping that technology and innovation will give us new stuff for us to use and just kind of get us off the hook. We don't have to panic. That's not what we're going to be saying tonight. But we do have to care in our hearts, and we have to do something with our hands. Because in fact, that's what God, God has called us to do. So what does this mean in the, in the near future and all, in, 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 when it was, all, what does it mean also in the far future as well? Uh, that's where the debate is. Should we be concerned with the doomsday scenarios? Is everybody telling us the truth? I don't know. But to all of us, again, we cannot remain passive when it comes to God's creation. And that includes this planetary home that God has given us. Now, I know there are a lot of thoughtful people in this room. I, I really know that, and I respect that. And, and I know many of us have well-formed opinions on this matter. And it's usually around this point in, in my sermon introduction that I like to tell a few jokes and get you to kind of warm up to the, the conversation and, and also just, you know, like get you to like me a little bit and things like that, right? But frankly, I've been wanting to talk about creation care for so long, and it's such an important topic to me. And, that, and so I, 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 I want you to hear the urgency here. I want you to feel it. And if you have some of that urgency in you, oh, bless you. Bless you. Let us partner together and, and do something good for this world, for this planet, because God has entrusted us with that. But we cannot remain passive on this, to take care of God's creation. 
And so we ask ourselves, is it possible to save this planet? Is it too late? And so whether you call it environmentalism, whether you call it creation care or climate change or sustainability, what is the Christian response to this? Well, we can thoughtfully and prayerfully engage on the way forward in all different ways, but let's begin with what the scriptures have already told us. So if you would look with me in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, I want to show you something that perhaps you may have missed along the way as you've read the creation accounts. I'm going to skip right to, uh, it's, it's chapter one, but I'm going to skip right to verse 26. You know, some of these words will be, of course, familiar to you. And they read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and in the sea and the birds, over the livestock and all of the wild, and, and all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in your number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground and everything that has breath of life and I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and that was the sixth day. Well, there's so much to unpack and there's so much that I'm excited to tell you about but I'm just going to zero in on just three verses, okay? All right, you with me so far? All right, well, I want to start with this part, this part in, uh, in verse 26 that says, to have dominion over. To have dominion over. It's a, tricky, it's a tricky phrase. Like, I'm not really sure I want to have dominion over something, right? But to have dominion over, this is what it means. We are to be caretakers, nurturers, and stewards of creation. It's actually not in a... In a, in a power-hungry, obsessive sense, okay? It is more in the caretaker, nurturer, steward of creation sense. The NIV says to rule over creation. The King James and the NRSV talks about having dominion. And that's probably the better translation, to have dominion. And there's a bit of confusion on this because it's, it's not the type of dominion, uh, again, where, where you're going to uh, be exploitive in it, okay? Again, it's crucial that we understand that it's about caretaking. And if we look at other passages like in Ezekiel 34 and Psalm 72, we'll see that in that term of dominion that there is a, a reference of both power and also of mercy, okay? And there's also this idea of like this royalty that, 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 that connotates with it. So God has entrusted us as fellow heirs of prin princes and princesses, if you would, uh, th this charge of having dominion over all of creation. That's, a, that's the first part to get from this. We have dominion. We've been given this. If we skip down to verse 28, fill the earth and subdue it, that focuses on our cultivation and development. Cultivation and development, fancy words, I know. Now, we usually hear the first part of those verses, like to, to be fruitful and multiply, right? But the second part of this is to fill the earth and subdue it. You have to remember in Genesis 1, there, there are no enemies yet, okay? So this idea of subduing something that is God inviting humanity to continue in the process of creation, in ordering it, in culture making, in making this world functional and making this world beautiful. 
And so when God says that it is good, he's not saying that it's all complete. No, no, not at all. Inside, all he is saying that it is not broken. It's the beginning of something beautiful, something amazing. And we get to add to that goodness as sub-creators of God. And I really like, I really like this, this image of God because it tells me that God is not boring. It tells me that God is not some cranky old individual saying, stay off the grass. I did everything the way I exactly like it. Please don't touch it, okay? I don't want that to be moved. Like, God is not like that at all. If anything, he's almost the exact opposite of that. God is saying, play with me in this created world. Create with me. Get your hands dirty with mine. Let's see what else we can make together. Friends, that was the original vision of creation. And I feel maybe we, have, maybe we lost that a little bit. If we can go backwards in the, in the context of that passage and just kind of, uh, most of us have heard of the creation stories to, you know, on the first day God created you know, and, and so on. If we can just give a little bit more context of the creation, uh, I think we'll un- appreciate it a little bit more. This theologian named John Walton helps us unpack this ancient context and he helps us to understand what the ancient world would have seen when they would have come across the, these, these, this week of creation. So God creates the known universe and we're told on the seventh day he, he rests. Rests, all right, good, good. I'm gonna, I need a little bit more enthusiasm. I'm like really excited and so like I know, like, I know when like one person's really excited and you're like, I'm not really, why is this guy so excited? Like, I, I just need a little bit more from you, okay? Just, 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 just a little bit more. And so on the seventh day, God, oh, thank you, bless you. I, this is why I like GC at night. You just need just a little bit of prompting, but like you bring it. I, I appreciate that. Now, when, when the text says that God rested, God's not resting because he is tired. Although we would not have blamed him if you've created all the entire known universe, and how many universes are there, by the way? I don't know. I'm like, there's this idea of a multiverse, or maybe there's more than one. I don't know. But we wouldn't blame God for being tired. But he's God, so he's actually not tired. So in English, of course, rest feels like this weariness type of a thing. But in Hebrew, rest is about stopping. It's not about tired at all. God is stopping in order to take his rightful place in all of creation. And he's stopping so he can be understood by his creation, by his people, by us. And this is what removes God from being a deist, okay? This idea of this philosophy that God is out there somewhere, and if you look hard enough and long enough at the sky, maybe you can like pick him out. That's not God at all. As Christ followers, we are theists, We worship the God who is near. We worship the God who loves us, the God who stopped so that his beloved can pray and worship and know him. So what God did in creation was was create for himself the greatest of all temples. I would love to encourage you, the next time you see the, the beautiful, expansive sky, And the next time you look outside at the mountains and the hills to see this realm as a temple, a temple. And then the, if if this is a temple and we are to be caretakers of it, this makes us priests. Priests, yes, priests. We have to be priests to help care for this temple. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. 
I don't want to be a priest. It, it reminds me of that Seinfeld episode of, of, of the pirate, you know, when he has to wear the, the, the puffy shirt. I don't want to be a pirate. Anyone, anyone see that? All right, all right, thanks. I, I, need, I need this, you see, at night. I, I need your encouragement. And I feel like I'm so far away from you. Can you still see me? Yeah? Just checking. I don't want to be a priest. Now, let's consider that for a moment. There's different understandings of priests, okay? Certainly there is a noble calling found in certain traditions where they, they lead a local congregation, they take a vow of celibacy, they commit to the teaching of scriptures, and, and that's one type of priest. But the function of a priest, especially in the ancient context, is even more general. It's the person that God has entrusted to fulfill his mission. The person that God has entrusted to fulfill his mission. And so if I can connect the dots and fast forward a little bit, this is why in the book of 1 Peter, he says, but you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of peculiar people, right? We are all priests, whether you like it or not, okay? And God has entrusted us with his mission, the misio Dei, the mission of God, if you will. And this is all connected to this idea of being in dominion, of, of being subduers of creation, of being co-creators. And it's beautiful. And it's why we, we, we of all people have to take creation care super seriously. Because God, God, this is the God's, one of God's first commandments of it, to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. And so our key point tonight is being good for the planet is to live out God's call of caring for all of creation. Being good for the planet is to live out God's call of caring for all of creation. And when we see creation care in this way, we, we are divorced of all types of political agendas and all types of other, other things that are attached to this. We get to be stewards of God's creation. We, I think we can all agree on that. This is a command that we were, we were originally uh, intended to, to obey from the very beginning. All of us who love and worship and follow God. But if I can be honest, and if I can be candid, this also feels like a command that many of us, especially in the Western church, have taken for granted. And I think there's a moment of repentance for us in that. I love this line by Abraham Kuyper, who says, who reminds us, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not declare, this is mine. To paraphrase, there's not one square inch on this planet where Christ does not say, mine. And that makes it ours as well. We have to be careful stewards of our environment. And if we look hard enough, we'll find that there's different types of gardens in life. And we ought to be good stewards of these gardens, not just the gardens out front of our, of our walkways and homes and, 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 and out back, but but also the gardens in society, right? And also sometimes the garden that is just right in front of you as you're walking through the parking lot, picking up something that, that you didn't throw away, that you didn't throw down there, but you're the one that's going to pick it up because you are trying to make everything a garden. This is, this is part of stewardship. There's also ways that, so we do this individually, there's also things that we do collectively, we do them together. And there's also things that we do systemically, right? And I wish we could have more time to talk about that, but as you get more interested in creation care, if you can kind of just think of the ways where you can influence society from a neighborhood perspective, from a community perspective, from, from a city and town perspective, wow, we would do some really good work with that. I, I, I just think back to the people who decided that they were going to recycle. 
I mean, and like what a gigantic change that and difference that makes in, in, in a lot of ways. I know we're not able to recycle all the things that we, we actually put in those blue dumpsters, uh, but, but quite a bit gets recycled and, and we're grateful for that. But a few facts facing the challenges of our world right now. Uh, in 2010, okay, so this is already seven years old, but this is the, the most reliable statistic that I could find. In 2010, the statistic was over one billion people lacked adequate supply of water. One billion people lacked adequate, meaning clean, supply of water. And the scarier part is it's projected to rise to 1.8 billion people will not have access to clean drinking water by the year 2025. I know anytime you say 20 anything, it sounds like it's so far away, but that's only eight years away. In 2025, almost 2 billion people are not going to have access to clean water. I know that makes me sound a bit of like, a, like an, an alarmist, but this is what we're being told. Biodiversity loss, biodiversity loss is accelerating rapidly. And so between a quarter and a third of all wildlife has disappeared since 1970. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you were around in 1970, uh, but just think about that. A quarter to a third of all the wildlife since 1970 has disappeared, okay? And a full third, a true third of all amphibians are threatened with extinction. And the level of decline, to, to quote one of the scientists, his name is Dr. Stewart, and anything I quote you, if you wanna, have, if you wanna follow up with me later on, I can email you the links. I, I have done my due diligence with this, I promise. Um, Dr. Stewart said, the level of decline is so extraordinary and serious because amphibians represent a very important part of the overall diversity of life. Since most amphibians feel the effects of pollution before many other forms of life, their rapid decline tells us that one of the Earth's most critical life support systems is truly breaking down. So think of that the next time you see a frog, right? Now the evidence of human-caused climate change continues to grow and predictions of sea level and rise in extreme weather events become more serious um, given the acceleration of the, melt the melting ice. And I would just like to say, we have to appreciate science. We have to appreciate science. For the life of me, I personally cannot understand why there's a, a chasm between faith and science. I think it's because sometimes scientists tell us things that we don't really want to hear, but bless them. Bless the scientists who, who are speaking truthfully and honestly and who are doing their research diligently for A, helping us become more aware of what is going on in God's world, and also B, for trying to innovate things and, and, and new, new systems and, and, uh, and solutions that we may be better partakers and better caretakers of this planet. So let the church embrace science. And I'm so grateful that here at Grace Chapel we have a group called GC Science. And I love this group, I actually get to work with them a bit. Uh, GC Science, they are just wonderful people. Anytime they're having an event, I just wanna encourage you just to sign up for it. Uh, and they also have a great Facebook page. You can just learn so much. On, on Jesus, it's called GC Science on Facebook. Um, but it's good stuff. I, I would love for us to appreciate science, and I would also love to encourage us to be excited about discovery and innovation. I mean, that stuff praises God. I mean, like, what, what are the, one of the things that is happening right now, uh, one of the biggest discussions in science right now is what? Going to Mars. Are we gonna go to Mars? And every now and then I catch like a Facebook thread. I know you're not supposed to read the comments, but every now and then I sin and I read the comments. And, and, and I read in some of the comments, they say, oh, we, we, if, if, we, if we go to Mars and, and we find something that will somehow 
contradicts something in the Bible or the Bible doesn't say anything about life on Mars or something like that. I'm really excited about the possibility of, of colonizing Mars. I just think that stuff is fun. And I'm not, my faith is not threatened by it and yours doesn't have to be either. God is so powerful and so amazing. We don't have to restrict him to hit all the glory on one planet. We, we can see that glory from any different corner, from any, any, any different corner from the, in, in the universe. We really can. Even if we get to Mars and there's like a factory that they discover where they're building all the humans, okay? Even if there's like a human factory and they're just like, you know, FedExing them over to Earth and we just never realize that then, even then I still believe in this ridiculous hyperbolic exaggeration of an illustration that God can still be glorified. Amen? So as we bring it back to Earth, what can us normal folks do? I mean, it feels like these problems are so huge and so big. Like, what can I do in my, in my, in my actual world? Because my efforts feel, feel like they amount to so little. I'd like to just encourage you with, with, with three things. One, our heart, one for your heart, is to delight in the beauty of creation. I think sometimes we, we don't take the creation care seriously because we don't get a chance to really, really enjoy it because we're, we're moving so fast, we're, we're, we're so busy, all these things are happening at such a, a lightning pace, we don't always get to delight in creation. Every now and then you have that moment where you walk outside to your car and you're like, what a beautiful day. And then your phone rings and you get into your car and you gotta go, 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 go. And just like that, that moment is gone. Find ways to delight in creation. Delight in all the ways. I'm one of those people, I, 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 I do like the cities and I do like the mountains, and I do like the beach. I really like, just like it all. I, I like nice looking things. I like being in, in cool theaters, and I like being on top of something natural and like looking over valleys and waters and things like that. I just think that stuff is cool. Where I don't like to be is in polluted, smoggy, uncomfortable areas. And I respect you if you think that's okay. No, none of us like that, right? None of us like that. But do we find ways to delight in creation? I also like, you know, the, the things that, that creation gives us, like food and chocolate. Chocolate! Friends, when we care for the planet, we get more chocolate. Dark chocolate, good chocolate. And coffee. I, I love coffee. If you know me, you, you know that I, I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm like a bit of a coffee snob, right? And I... I just think this is all part of the created goodness that God gives us. And I just want to just say about the coffee one more time. What you're drinking, what you're drinking and what we need help making is fair trade coffee. It's, it's, it's ethically grown. We, we, we pay good money for it because it feels, it feels really terrible to, to, to drink cheap, bad coffee that we've exploited from some and then like, we come into church and worship God, how, how wonderful and good he is and how he loves all of humanity. So we pay a little bit extra for fair trade coffee um, and it tastes better and it's, it's more honorable in that way, right? So that's what, that's what you're enjoying every, every week here. But two, and, and along those lines, beware of your consumption. So the first part is to delight in creation. The second part is to beware of your consumption. And this is a big one for us because we consume a lot. But there's also something that we can control to a, a bit of a, a degree in our lives, what we consume. Are you in the mood for some more sobering, terrible statistics? Well, I sure hope so, because I came with so many more. 
We Americans consume about 25% of the world's energy, and we only represent 5% of the world's population. So we use up 25% of the world's energy, we only represent 5% of the population. And what that breaks down to is we use one-third of the world's paper. Notice I didn't print anything out today. I'm, I'm trying to contribute. Okay. A quarter of the world's oil, 23% of the world's coal, 27% of the aluminum, and 19% of the copper. And that amounts to about 25% of the world's energy resources. Here's one that I just could not get over. A child born in the United States will create 13 times as much ecological damage over the course of his or her lifetime than a child born in Brazil. So if you're born in the United States, you're going to create 13 times more amount of damage than, say, in a country like Brazil. And that's, um, I, have, I have the source for that if, if you want to question that, if you, if you want to just read more about it also, excuse me. As part of our consumption, let us also be vigilant about the way that we dispose of our trash. So there's, there's how much that we buy and how much that we use, but we have to use something, right? Every day we're using stuff. So let us be mindful and vigilant about what we're using and how we dispose of it. I, I want to encourage you not to be legalistic about these things. I realize that, you know, so one of the things that I, I go through a lot in, 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 in over the years was coffee cups. I drink a lot of coffee. I go out for coffee. It's one of the few things that I spend my discretionary income on, coffee. And, I, and I, it has to be good coffee. And I would love to argue with you about why Dunkin' Donuts is not an adequate place of coffee. And, and Starbucks is just like, it's a starting point. And then there's like all this other good stuff. And I can give you a 30-minute sermon whenever you like on that as well. Um, but the, and the reason that we're drinking such better coffee now um, is two reasons. One, we're, we're paying coffee farmers more fairly. So they're, they're, um, they're encouraged then to make the best coffee that they can make. And two, distribution. All right. But I started realizing that I, I, use, I go through all these coffee cups, so I started bringing a, like what many of you do, a, tra a travel mug. So when I go to Starbucks, they give you a 10% discount, and, they, and I just have, like, you know, they just fill up my, my, my coffee mug, which is stained, but I assure you it is clean, okay? And what I, when I started doing the math on the number of coffee cups that I was, I was saving, I realized that in the last five years, I have saved over 2,000 disposable cups just by having a mug. A mug. If you use a mug, you are saving, over, over the course of a few years, that many cups. I mean, just think of your workplaces. Think of when you go to a, a public institution like a hospital and like there's a Keurig machine there. Think of when you go anywhere, a mall, a, a, anywhere, all the different things that we just throw away instantly. That, that it, it, over the years, it, it, one person, thousands. Whatever it is for you, okay, whatever it is for you, be a caretaker for creation. And this is such a very small thing, but what it, what it, what it prompts my heart to do is to take other things seriously. Well, if this is just the coffee cups, oh my goodness, what else can I do to make a legit difference in my life when it comes to my consumption? I think this is what Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is talking about and having dominion over what we consume as well. Assuming that I reach an average life expectancy of about 80 years, um, I, I like to think of what, what life will be like as, as, an, old, as an older gentleman. Um, 
I like to think, and I'd like to live to be about 95 or so, maybe 105. You know, technology's improving, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bumping up from 80, right? Anyone else want to live long or is it any, okay, uh, any, any fellow 105-year-old 100, people here? Good, good, that's healthy, that's, that, that's healthy. You shouldn't want to leave at 75, okay? Just, just stick around together as long as we can. But I like to picture what life is going to be like in, 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 the, in the coming decades. And I, and I read like Wired Magazine and, and, and all these other Discovery Magazines and National Geographic, and I get really excited when I hear about the AI robots. Um, not the Terminator-style AI robots, but like, you know, the good AI robots, the artificial intelligence robots are gonna be doing all these wonderful things. Driving cars, um, the, like the, the drones that Amazon is going to own to like, you know, deliver things faster to us. Uh, I, I, I imagine that we're going to have robots that clean our, um, our not, not just like the Roomba vacuum, but like something like that, but also will mow the grass for us and do landscaping for us and all sorts of things. It could be because I'm a kid that like grew up watching the Jetsons that like, you know, I kind of have like, you know, these, these robot maids that, you know, I'm kind of I'm thinking about. But it's probably going to be robot baristas. There may even be like a robot preacher. I mean, think of like coming to Grace Chapel in the lobby and like, you know, this Siri voice and like this, this you know, screen that I ask you, what kind of a sermon would you like to hear today? And of course, I will have lost my job. And so I'm bitter about this. So I will have, I will have um, hacked into the computer and made all the sermons to be about substitutionary atonement. And they will all be about like, you know, God's wrath part one, God's wrath part two, God's wrath part three, Right. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, I wouldn't do that. But, and maybe my job is a little bit safe when it comes to AI. But like, I do wonder what, what is going to happen when all these little robots are picking up all of our trash for us and we don't ever have to bend down and pick up a thing. I wonder when, when the robots are, are mowing our grass, what is that, what is that going to do? On, on one hand, the place will be cleaner. And I love that type of cleanliness. That, that, that sounds wonderful. But it's going to come at a cost, isn't it? And some of you are already seeing it. You're already shaking your heads. Although our cities will be cleaner and our streets will look better, I fear this will actually keep us further from nature and further from creation. I feel that this will be like the final forfeit of living out this call of being carers for the creation, caregivers for creation. And we'll have outsourced not just the cheap laborers, but we will have resorted to non-human labor. We will have dehumanized creation care. And honestly, I'm really concerned by this. And I would like to have a 40-year head start in telling you, don't buy that machine. But we're concerned, and you should be concerned. And so when we get concerned, we try to educate ourselves. And so in the last few moments here, I want to give you a bunch of books, and, and I would love for you to just snap pictures with your phones, because, uh, you know, because that's how you take notes. But um, I, I put a lot of thought in these recommendations. Um, the first is by Matthew Sleeth. It's called Serve God, Save the Planet, A Christian Call to Action. Um, it was published back in 2007, so it's already 10 years old. But it's a really great book, and if you're looking for a place to start, I would encourage you to check out this book. Um, you might recognize the, title, uh, the name, Matthew Sleeth. Uh, he actually spoke here at Grace Chapel a few years ago on Sabbath, uh, the nature of Sabbath and Sabbath, uh, Sabbath living and rhythms of that. Um, and he also talks a lot about creation care. The second book is called Green Revolution, Coming Together for Creation Care. Uh, and is by a guy named Ben Lowe. He is sharp. He's a millennial. 
Uh, he's a missionary kid. He's, he graduated from Wheaton. And, and when you read this book, you know that Ben came to play ball. Uh, if you've been kind of, uh, if, if, if a lot of this resonates with you and like you're, this isn't a new conversation for you, but you want to get more informed, I would love to encourage you to check out this book. Um, super helpful, and, and you'll recognize some of the content that I quoted uh, from that book as well. Um, lest you think that all these books are new, and this is something that I, I think that we just came up with, I would like to point out Francis Schaeffer's book. Anyone know Francis Schaeffer? From, from like, yes! Thank you for coming tonight. I, 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 so Francis Schaeffer wrote this book back in the year 1970 uh, called The Pollution and the Death of Man. And, and Schaefer, he wrote about all sorts of things, you know, faith, theology, culture, the arts. Um, and in this book, he wrote prophetically, and he, he articulates his great concern, but he also articulates his firm belief that substantial healing can be done if the church acts here and now. And then there's poetry. If you really want to get serious about creation care, you got to read a few poems. And the poems feel better if you read them outside. And I had a long poem I was going to give you, but we're totally out of time. But if you just Google Wendell Berry, and this book is on sale tonight for $1.99 on Kindle. Um, so so you, you'll, you'll miss the paper feel. I know poetry feels better on paper, but, but it's still pretty good. Uh, Wendell, Wendell Berry. And then there's all these websites. Um, you, can, you can snap a picture of them as well. Um, and just leave that up for a little bit as, as we continue, because I do want to be sensitive to our time. A few warnings. As we become more informed, as we become more informed, and as we get more passionate about this, that's wonderful, but there's also a dark side to this passion as well. We have to find ways to avoid being legalistic about, about talking about creation care. We also have to find ways about not making creation an idol. We care so much about this because this gives glory to God, but we don't want to inadvertently end up worshiping nature, the idol of it. We don't want to create an idol out of this. And I, I feel this is something I, I need to say because I, I, I talk all the time with my conservative friends and I talk all the time with my progressive friends and then I have a bunch of friends in the middle and I kind of consider myself to be somewhat in the middle of that too. And we end up arguing about all these things of what, we, what everybody else ought to do. And we have to be really careful about that. We have to be really careful about that. We have to be really careful of who we call an enemy. We have to be really ca uh, careful about who we villainize. You know, we often villainize the government, the corporations, the lazy American, the media outlet, or the celebrity. We have to be really careful about that. Yes, there's a lot of hypocrisy out there. There's always going to be a celebrity who let the Ferrari run, you know, for 10 minutes while they went in to go get something, and they're the same celebrity who had, like, you know, this, this green commercial, or this commercial about how you should be more green, right? But we all have that type of hypocrisy in our lives. We just don't have the Ferrari, right? The real enemy is greed. The real enemy is apathy, my apathy, my greed. The real enemy is the, all the times when I don't feel like cleaning the coffee cup and I'm just going to go and because and, 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 I'm running short on time, I'm just going to go get the disposable cup, right? And all the different shortcuts that we often take. We have to be faithful stewards. I think I say this just about every GC at night sermon and, and a lot of my prayers and, and all the benedictions that, that we give here. But I would be remiss if I didn't say this. These are indeed tricky times. These are polarizing times. These are angry times. And there's a lot of tension all out there. There's probably some tension in here too, right? 
There's tension on our social media feeds. Anytime you say anything, you feel that you're going to be yelled at. And all this, all this, this, this tricky time, this angry time, it also means that this is a time to be good. With the tricky times, there's also an opportunity for us as the church to be good. And I don't mean the world's type of goodness. I mean God's goodness. This type of righteousness, this type, this type of justice, this type of leading with God's love, that type of goodness. To be the agents of shalom, to be ambassadors of God's peace and his good news. And so as Christ's followers, let us reject the, the ways that the world plays out these types of arguments and these types of broken rules. Let's reject that. Let us love our neighbor. Let us be good stewards of creation. Let's avoid, let's avoid the, 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 the rhetoric and, and, and the, 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 uh, the, the idleness. Let's avoid the apathy. Let's avoid objectifying people. Let's take seriously the, the, the importance of creation care. Again, our big idea is being good for the planet is to live out God's call of caring for all of creation. I am one of those people that like, I like to read up on things, I like to watch the TED Talks, I like to talk with my friends, I, I like to get all the facts so I can know what to do next. But if I can encourage you with one last thing tonight, one of the most important things that we can do is to be faithful with what we already have and to grow in that faithfulness by becoming more informed and to try to be more intentional in all the different things that we are trying to be good stewards of in trying to be faithful with it all. And so, my fellow creation cares. So, my fellow priests. And so, my fellow Christ followers. May we do our part in caring for what God has entrusted us with. Will you pray with me? Our Lord God, we come to you grateful for this beautiful land and planet that we live in. We pray, Lord, that you would convict us where we need it, especially in the privacy of our prayers, Lord. May you convict us there. Show us how we can be better stewards of what you have entrusted us with. Help us, Lord, to encourage the person alongside us so that we may have a more beautiful and more hospitable and a more sustainable environment to live in for ourselves, for others, and for future generations. We pray, Lord, that as we would do the little things, that you would bless the larger things. We pray for your divine intervention as it relates to the things that are happening on a global scale, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would save our hearts, save our loved ones, save the strangers, and also, Lord, save our planet. We are so thankful, Lord, that you've given us all this, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.